So welcome to another episode of Just Me. And today I'm joined by Mark Fielding, who, aka Apocalypse Now. So Mark, firstly, welcome. Please tell us who you are and what you do. Well, thank you for having me on, Sid. It's a pleasure. Your your reputation precedes you, so you've inspired a lot of people. So thank you for having me on. Um, as you said, yeah, I'm Mark, aka the Apocalypse Daddy. Not Apocalypse Now, but I have written on Apocalypse Now, so there is a link. Um, I love this question because it allows me to, to be whoever I want. So first and foremost, I'm a family man. I spend most of my time with my family and friends. And I love doing things. I have hundreds of hobbies. I, I could live 10 lifetimes doing the things I love. I, I live in the French Alps, so I do a lot of snowboarding, climbing, cycling, running, swimming. But I also like reading and writing and thinking and meditating and listening to podcasts and technology and learning. And then I weave all of that into my writing as the Apocalypse Study, the alternative fatherhood blog. And it's a, the Apocalypse Daddy is a guide, a letter, insight for my children. So I'm writing it. I started writing it for my children. So when they're older, they'll have my thoughts on learning and music and film and technology and all my ideas and thoughts that one day in the future, they will get to read and see how the family lived in 2021 and it's that that's what it started from it started of course like many things out of the the covid lockdowns i wanted to document the time for my family back in england but it's mutated and expanded and now yeah it's a letter to my children but it's also a place where i can learn as well and other people so how did you arrive at today? And I know that, that earlier we were talking about your kind of your route to where you are today, but but just just so so I mean uh, please tell us about the love story as well. So so can you kind of go back to, to Mark born where? Born in Burton upon Trent, which if those who know England, Burton upon Trent is the home of Marmite and Bass Beer. So I grew up, I was born in the town of Marmite and Beer. <laughs> Nothing. My my childhood was pretty standard. I one of three brothers. I grew up on a farm in the countryside, so I consider myself very lucky in in that regard because one of three brothers, and we would just spend hours and hours and days roaming the countryside, miles from home. Oh, lovely. Um, and then yeah, no, a, a pretty normal, regular upbringing. And then I remember it was about. Early 90s, I'm a 90, I was born in 1979, so I'm a 90s child. I was, my formative years were in the 90s. I remember 1991, 92, the start of a school summer holiday. And back then, those school summer holidays seemed to stretch on forever. And my dad at the time, my, my dad at the time, my dad, <laughs> <laughs> he was, you wouldn't believe it now if you've seen him on WhatsApp, but at the time he was quite an early uptaker in technology and we had satellite television. And I sat down with my little brother at the, in the, back in the early 90s 
turned on the TV and MTV came on. And I remember it because for the next eight years, I, I was just went on a journey of MTV and rolling news and all this culture, this overseas culture kind of ransacked my mind. And oh, yeah. I rebelled against the countryside and started skateboarding, joined a rock band, kind of moved to the city. And that's where I think the apocalypse dad was born but that's where i i was really born and then went to university studied international relations at university kind of floated around after university trying to find my path what i wanted to do because i studied international relations at university but it didn't really it didn't seem like that was something i wanted to spend my life doing so instead of that i went to work in editorial, I worked in a book publisher. And you spoke about a love story, that's where my love story started. I was working in this book publisher. There was a French woman who was also studying publishing. We hit it off back then. After the job finished, she moved back to France. I went to my other passion, which was snowboarding. I went to do some ski seasons in Austria. Long story short, the winter ended I stopped in Paris on my way back to England to see Benny, this French lady. And that was in 2008. And I never got home. And I'm still in France with two French kids and a French wife living in the French mountains. I love that. <laughs> That's where the love story well, it's such a lovely, it's such a lovely story, and the thing that that I love is that you know you got two brothers and you're born on a farm, and you know, home and mom might and beer and stuff. And then you know, MTV comes along thanks to your dad. And then suddenly yeah. that sparks an interest in you, and you're like, "Well, hang on a minute." As you say, it's when you were where you were, or when you were born, and then and then now you're in France, and I just think that's such a lovely story. It really is. So, what have you learned along the way? What are your kind of key lessons? I think having three brothers, being the middle child, it kind of helped me become resilient, and it helped me to realize I can only control my actions not other people's reactions and so that failure for me always was and is just so important how you had yeah dealing with failure in a way which you would use that failure to drive you forward rather than using that failure to prevent you going forward that's really brilliant and how was it being the kind of the the, the middle of the sandwich because there's lots of theories isn't there about oldest child youngest child middle child all that kind of stuff you know syndrome scenarios or whatever did you feel that kind of, oh, I'm the middle child, or was it just, you just got on with it? Oh, I've always just got on with it. Perhaps it was more the competitive nature of three boys, which I'm faster than the, my younger brother. I'm not as fast as my older brother. So I'm, you're having to balance being the victor in sport and not, I, I, it wasn't anything about being the middle child. So I experienced anything different because of that but I think possibly the environment of competition that being one of three brothers provided that's really cool so what and who has helped you along the way then many people many things uh, I'm a product of my environment so people um, experiences I'm a big reader a lot of books a lot of podcasts have helped me along the way huge amounts of books both fiction and non-fiction which is which have helped me I'll tell you one thing, actually, that the Farnham Street blog, I don't know if you're familiar with a, uh, a podcast, sorry, called the Farnham Street podcast. No. It's a fantastic podcast. It's about mental models. It's about how we think and the biases which are involved in that. 
Brilliant. And it's an awesome podcast in to, to help you think about how you're reacting to situations. So that's definitely helped me. My wow. children have helped me to inspire, you know, inspired me to go further, be curious. My children have inspired me to be healthier as well, to, wow. to take, to take my body more seriously. Like flexibility is youth. So they've inspired me to do much more looking after my body. They've inspired me that way. My, 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 my friends, how they deal with hardship and tragedy. I think your friends can be a great source of inspiration and help. So yeah, or, or the things and the people, my family, my friends, and the, the, your input equals your output. So a lot of what I read, what I watch, who I speak to, they, they've all helped me. That's really lovely. I like that. Um, I'll look up the uh, Farnham Street podcast. Thank you for that. It's brilliant. So what obstacles have kind of hindered you and in some ways helped you as well? As most of your listeners, broken bones and broken hearts. They've <laughs> been the, the obstacles, failure and success. Thinking, I've thought about this question. There's a lot of things that have hindered everybody. But I, if I choose one, which I've overcome coronavirus aside one of the culture and lang linguistical barriers of moving and living and deciding to stay in France because when I first arrived I didn't speak any French the food was different the way of thinking was different behavior mm. was different the way business worked was different and not speaking the language and trying to assimilate all of that was pretty daunting and very frustrating at times and in terms of career choices when I was like early 20s yeah it definitely hampered that but eventually obviously what did Ryan Holiday say the the obstacle is the way so how you respond to those obstacles what defines you and eventually yeah it became amazing I live two cultures two languages two ways of looking at things and it took a long time to reach that realization and I probably still haven't completely reached it, but yeah. Yes. I mean, you mentioned kind of it being frustrating, and I can imagine because it's, it's you're, immersed, you're immersed in it, isn't it? I mean, you're, you're there and then kind of learning the language and then all the nuances that go with that as well. And, and were you yeah. accepted? I mean, were people kind of like, oh, great, here's Mark and, you know, welcome? A little caveat with that, because I was... I didn't speak French. Some of the first work I did in Paris was teaching English. I did some business teaching and there's a quite a big expat community. So I, I had English friends as well, but having a French girlfriend at the time who became my wife, I was also part of the French scene. And I, I, look, look, Sid, I'm, I'll always be English to my <laughs> wife's, I'm always, I'll always be English to my wife's family, French people, you know, I, my French isn't a, isn't um, I still have an accent I'll always be English I'll always be a little bit of an outsider wherever that's just human nature perhaps that will change with my kids growing up bilingual I don't know but there's always yeah I'm, you're always a little bit of an outsider but it's not a massive difference it's only France and England French and English so that's huge huge similarities and do they do they refer to you as the roast beef or any of those kind of um yes they, yeah they do and there's they one of the th so living in France taught me a lot about France, but it's also taught me a lot about the UK. So obviously being away, getting taking a step back from where you're from gives you the opportunity to see your roots and your culture perhaps more clearly than if you're 
deep in it. Mm. And they they do call me roast beef and those, all those jokes are. But I will so, say that I grew up watching Hello, Hello. So we know how <laughs> we, the, we view the French. But the French don't spend as much time on the English. So for, for their French might be the Spanish or the Greek. So there's a lot. Of, it's quite interesting to see how we spend quite a lot of time laughing at French idiosyncrasies and they spend a lot mm. of time laughing at other people's. I tell you yeah. one thing though, my wife won't watch British panel shows, comedy panel shows with me very often because she's noticed that in every single time we watch Mock the Week or Have I Got News for You or one of these shows, there's always some jokes about the French on it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is quite interesting. Mm. I still watch it because I think it's funny. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's also that little link to home, isn't it? I remember when I lived abroad, it's it's just nice, isn't it, to kind of go onto the BBC website or to watch, as you say, Have I Got News for You or Mock the Week or whatever. I just find that's a little kind of like, I don't know, you sort of feel a little closer back to um, to home. Where, where did you live? Sorry, I know, I just... Oh, I lived in Amsterdam for a while and I lived over in New York as well. Okay. And, um, and I lived in Cyprus as a child and um, used to listen to the BBC World Service a lot. And they used to have things on, like the goons and things on, which were just, it was just great, really. So we used to sit and huddle in front of a radio um, and just kind of listen away, which was kind of good. So how do you keep going when things get tough? I mean, I know you mentioned kind of broken hearts and broken bones and kind of learning from mistakes. But what else, <laughs> what other things do you do to dig deep? No, I've had a lot of practice. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm ginger as well. So, you know, it gets, you, you build up a tough skin. Um, this is going to sound a bit funny but I don't think anything's taught me as much about getting up and resilience than probably skateboarding I did a lot of skateboarding when I was young and when you're skateboarding you have no choice but to just get back up and that really helped me I think that physicality like having to get back up physically helps you to get back up mentally I'm a big believer in that I'm a big believer in and, and my kids Alice and Luke could get to experience this when we do early morning runs when, you know, I'll, I'll run them into the ground when they're two. I, I really believe that there's a, a, a powerful link between how you respond physically and how you respond negatively. Obviously, not everybody can skateboard when they're old. So I, I've read quite a lot about resilience. I've written about it on the Apocalypse Daddy because when I was researching and reading about resilience, it kept dawning on me that all of these points so being cognitively flexible physical fitness friends and family self-talk Alice and Luca were doing that the kids do that all the time so all this big structure of building resilience which kids have being yeah, new inputs phoning friends phoning family especially the last year everyone's just been you must have seen and spoken to a lot of people who've been affected by the last year year and a half now and yeah having a system of in place to help of support sleep physical fitness yeah all 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 of those good things that keep you on track yeah i mean it's something actually i mean i didn't really do skateboarding when i was younger but i i watch people now in skate parks and stuff and and the thing is there's no shortcut to learning it is there i mean you have to fall off i mean there is as you say, the physicality is, is is sometimes, you know, I always find, you know, with sport that pain is such a great teacher because yeah. you either kind of submit to it or you push through it and you endure it. Yeah. I think your mental fitness and your mental 
resilience is can be linked to the most yeah i, I don't i don't think there is the how do you say i don't think they're the binary but i think yeah. there can be a big link between it also yeah. cold showers meditation cold showers and yeah absolutely all kind of wim hof kind of you know method of yeah wim hof kind of, yeah so what advice would you give your younger self if you could go back practical advice would be it's never too early to start saving i was i was a terrible terrible money manager in my early years in my well for the first 30 years of my life really terrible at money management and yeah i would tell my younger self it's never too early to start saving because you you never know when the world's going to stop and you'll need some savings <laughs> that's so, so true my practical advice would be that just because I was so terrible at it. And I, if, yeah, if I could go back in time, I'd tell myself that. And the second, again, the naive of you. So I'd tell myself to listen more, stop talking and listen. But I, I wouldn't have listened to me, of course, back then. But that's what I'd tell myself. It's difficult, isn't it, when you're younger, because you're charging through life, aren't you? And exploring and being curious and you know being creative and kind of doing stuff that you don't really want to listen in some ways but it's such such an important thing isn't it yeah i agree and i I love this question as well because it's whatever my advice would be to my younger self i wouldn't have heeded it because you've got to learn by experience don't you i think there's uh, i think there are people who can at a young age take on and assimilate what people say but I think those people are a rare breed and I'm, I definitely wasn't one of them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and what advice would you give to others? So this, the, the Apocalypse Daddy was actually born out of a stoic quote. And I know this sounds pretty, might sound a bit pretentious, but when the, first, when the lockdown came, I think it was, someone for Christmas had given me meditations or something like this. But, and there was, there was just this quote and they just seemed to be very focused on control and it just was the perfect kind of philosophy at the perfect time when everything was so out of my control that the the borders were closed i couldn't we couldn't leave our house we couldn't go further than a kilometer from our house we couldn't go into restaurants we couldn't see our friends one of the jobs i was working at the time for this startup they closed you know everything was out of my control and everybody's control and just had this quote that you, you can only control how you react you can't control what happens or other people's opinions or other people's actions. And yeah, I think that's, that was the advice I would give one. You can only control what you, how you react to something. So That's really lovely. I like that. And, and it is, you know, it's a bit obvious, but it is so true, isn't it? it it's, it's, it's that thing. It's not what happens to me. As you say, it's what it's how I react and how I then go forward. Okay. So what legacy? I mean, you mentioned about, I mean, I love the fact that you're writing your kind of your blog, you know, and all the posts and things as an account for your children, which I think is wonderful. But what, what legacy would you really like to leave behind for people? <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm 42. Am I 42 or 41? I never quite remember. Let's say 41. Too young to be hopefully thinking about legacies. If if I can inspire Alice and Luca to to be the best they can. It's like everybody else, and I think most people who've been on your podcast say the same thing. It's family. It's all about at the end of it. At the end of it, 
you can't take any of it with you, can you? Just the memories and it's family and friends. So if I can leave that behind as a legacy, the knowledge that to my kids that stuff doesn't really matter as much as the people you're with and the memories you build. The thing, though, that, that, that I find is so foxing, Mark, is the fact that, you know, if you go back, you know, many hundreds of years or decades or even thousands of years, you know, when you go to, I don't know, people like Marcus Aurelius and, you know, Plato and everybody else, they were writing about this stuff then. Why is it yeah. that we haven't kind of, why does it not sink in? Is it because we don't listen and we just kind of go, well, we'll just create a different world and it'll all be fine? I don't know the answer to that question, Sid. <laughs> I, wish, I, I wish I did. Yeah, what, is that what you think? I think that's probably as good a yeah. explanation as any. I think that being aware of it, I, I yeah, I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know why more people don't come to that realization. It's so simple, and it's been spoken about for so long, hasn't it? Absolutely, yeah, and 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 it's not like it's you know it's like Brené Brown says, isn't she? This isn't our first rodeo, guys, and you kind of go, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Those elements of kind of being kind. I mean, all the wonderful things that you spoke about, you know, you know, kindness and friends and family and and stuff. And I, I mean, maybe you know, maybe there is a more of a consciousness that's happened since COVID with people like your good selves and maybe myself, you know, talking about this stuff and and getting that message out there of of actually, you know, at the end of the day, the legacy is about kindness and about truth and honesty and trust and friendship and connection. Maybe that's the yeah. Maybe, maybe that's the magic source that we need to realise that is still here. The mag- yeah, that's the magic source. I have a question here. So if you were to use one word to describe yourself, Mark, what would that be? Uh, by what's going around my head now, I would say undecided. What <laughs> <laughs> One word that is undecided. Curious. Let's go curious. I like curious. Yeah, I'd, I'd put that one down for you, definitely. Especially, especially when you, you kind of go back to your childhood days and that, that kind of curiosity was sparked by MTV, which I absolutely love. <laughs> because yeah. it was such a great... I mean, it, I, I mean, I know it's still it's, it's available now, but it, it certainly doesn't have as much power as it did. But at the time, it was hugely powerful, wasn't it, across Europe? I, I think that was... Uh, and the same with the, the rolling news, because it was not alone, but... There wasn't many choices, was it? Everything, media has become so fragmented. There's so many sources that there isn't a, there's not one single or there's not even a hundred single music channel or news channels or whatever the subject is. There's so many choices that I don't think anything will ever have that kind of power again. No, I, I, just feel, I feel like that. And, and in a way, that it, it's brilliant that we have more choice. But in a way, it, it's sort of a shame because, you know, when I, I like you, you know, when I was growing up, you know, MTV was just like, oh, have you seen MTV? And it was now it's like, oh, my life, there's just so much. As you say, there's so much choice, which is which is good. But, you know, it sort of limits it in a way. You're an expert on this then. So how do you, how do you go about making the choice when you have so I, I, I'm always I find it difficult to choose and decide when I'm faced with a lot of options like how how should I be thinking about it to make it easier for me to make a decision when I'm faced with a hundred choices oh crumbs good question actually I've just written a newsletter actually for, for June and, and one of the things that the, the, the um 
the subject actually is connection and how we find those connections. And I'm a big Radio 4 listener and fan, only because there's so much kind of good content there. And every time yeah. somebody mentions something, so for instance, like for instance, you could self, you know, you mentioned kind of Farnham Street podcast. I'm like, right, I'll write that down. And I, I go and listen to that. And in a way, my kind of direction is dictated by what I hear. So for instance, you know, with, you know, I like thought cages on Radio 4. And I know they go back, you know, quite a few years. But again, there's things they mention. I'm going, right, I'm going to listen to that. And that's that thing where, where you, you mentioned out of curiosity. That kind of, I suppose, sets my sail in a way sometimes. What was the name of the show? Sorry, the thought box. Yeah, thought cages. Thought cages. Yeah, it's on. It's on Radio Four, and um, it's really good. I mean, it really is. It just kind of just they just explore different ways of thinking, branding, music, and it just and it's it's like the Farnham Street stuff you say with kind of you know mental models. It just makes you think and kind of go, oh yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, the stuff that we take as, as being kind of gospel in a way, it then challenges that. And then it makes you kind of, I don't know, explore it a bit further. And I think that's the thing that I love is, is just being able to, you know, just think about things differently. Definitely. Totally agree with you. What's that famous quote? Is it that I can't remember who he said it, but the, the best thing that a scientist can say is not Eureka, but ah, that's interesting <laughs> because it, means you're yeah changing some some one of your preconditioned ideas is just been changed and i think that's very powerful yeah yeah and and that's the thing isn't it? it's interesting you mentioned science because because with scientists when they do experiments they get to an end of experiment and they they don't they don't see it as failure if it's failed they just see that as another kind of you know point of learning isn't it whilst is you know for a lot of people when something doesn't work out as a failure and that's where science is really good. It's always pushing the kind of the envelope to learn more and to kind of know more. Yeah, but isn't one of the driving forces of science is failure? People looking to disprove and disprove theories. Yeah, absolutely. Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. It really has. And um, Thank you. it's been a pleasure. I just love. I love the. I love the Chichester story. I love. I just so much that you say is just so lovely. Um, and I love your reason and I love the ethos behind Apocalypse Study I think it's just really really cool it really is it's been lovely talking to you and thank you so much for your time thank you very welcome